Welcome to Across the Line. Today we've got YouTube sensation Michael Cunningham on the show. He's got over 500,000 subscribers on his 7MLC YouTube page. And he teaches tricks, um, tips on how to improve your football game. And it's really blown up in the world of YouTube and on the internet. And Chris, we got an opportunity to really delve into his journey and uh, the method to which he has... uh, uh, the method that he's used in order to amass such an incredible following. Yeah, incredible um, detailed account of, of, of how he got his YouTube channel started, some of the um, difficulties he experienced getting that up and running, I think um, was was incredibly insightful. He, he spoke a lot about as well his, his, his difficulties trying to break into the footballing world as a young child, you know, some of the setbacks that he experienced, getting knocked back from clubs, not getting into the professional setup in the UK and and how he had to go via the US and uh, finally into Australia before we got his big break in the pro game. So, uh, you know, for any young player, up and coming and aspiring player who, who wants to become a professional footballer, I think there's there's loads of information in there that they can take from, from Michael's accounts. And also if anyone wants to become a YouTube star, you know, he, he gives his, uh, his rendition of how he became um, not an overnight sensation by any stretch mm. of the imagination. And, and also some of the really funny sides um, to being uh, a YouTube star, which I'm, I'm hoping the listeners and the viewers will uh, will find uh, amusing. So, no, he, he was great. Really good value today. And um, I'm sure the, the viewers and the listeners will really enjoy it. Quite fascinating as well was uh, seemingly a, a lack of confidence that he had um, growing up that uh, sort of propelled him to become a better learner, a better teacher as well. So uh, there's that in this conversation, of course. Then there's a little bit of a connection to the Philippines that we speak about as well. If you like this episode, if you like the conversation that we had with Michael, please do subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. And do look out for us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. All right, for this Football Friday, we've got Michael Cunningham. We've been lucky here on Across the Line to have some big personalities on the show, but we've not had the opportunity to have somebody with over 500,000 subscribers on YouTube. He blows the competition away. It's cool to have Mr. 7MOC himself here on the podcast. How's it going, Michael? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, Chris Greatwich um, on the show as well, as usual, of course. Uh, we've been enjoying your videos. What do you reckon, Chris? Um, better first touch, Michael, or yourself? Oh, undoubtedly me. I mean, he, he's better at teaching it. <laughs> he's better at teaching it, maybe. But no, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure about better first touch. I get takes as well. <laughs> yeah. re-edit as well. Exactly. exactly. We're, we're, we're doing it live when we do it in, in, a, in a real game. But no, it's great to have Michael on the show. We... Um, basically how this all came about was I, I was during the lockdown everyone wants to do these home workouts and so many people sending me different videos like can, can we can he do something like this can you do something like that and his videos just kept cropping up time and time again um and I realized I recognize this guy I, I know who he is I said I remember him from when he had he played at Morocco so uh reached out to him we, we exchanged a few messages and then he was kind enough to um to come on the show so yeah great to have him on and, and really interested to, to find out a bit more about his background Jing. yeah you know um i i guess i just missed you i, I had an opportunity to work with miracle but i guess i just missed you uh when i when i arrived but man how cool is that that there was actually a link 
to the Philippines. That that came a very unexpected for me. So, um, yeah, we'd love to know a little bit about your story. You know, um, obviously you you've blown up on the internet and you provide a great service to everybody who is looking to up their football game. Uh, but yeah, tell us a little bit about how that got started for you. Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in England, just playing like every other normal lad does. And to be honest, I wasn't actually that into football. Surprisingly, everyone like assumes I was just from the minute I could walk outside football mad. And I think most people in England just kick a ball around naturally every day. But to be fair, I wasn't a fan of the game until probably a little bit later, probably until about 11 or 12. And that was a start for a natural club. So I just grew up kicking around, but I was more of a multi-sports kind of person. I just loved all sports. So I guess I had the coordination to to play most sports, but I didn't really dive into football until... 11 years old, I joined my first team in England. I thought I was going to be a tennis player, to be honest. I really loved tennis growing up and carried that on a little bit. But football did take over in the end because once I got into secondary school, all of my mates were just mad about football and um, got me into watching Liverpool. My dad's a big Liverpool fan, so I started watching them around then and like just absolutely loved the way players like Steven Gerrard ping the ball around the pitch. And I was a striker at the time, so I really admired Michael Owen. So I got really into football through my teenage years, just playing for amateur teams and um, uh, progressed a little bit. I would say my my tactical knowledge of the game was, was a bit behind because I just grew up like juggling in my garden and I loved like the Joe Benito era with Nike, you know, when you, Ronaldinho and those lads were making the commercials. So I was like really into my skills, but as far as actually diving into the tactics of the game, that came a lot later on. So I was a bit behind that's why they put me as a striker because they could just chip the ball over the top I was pretty quick and could sometimes find the back of the net once in a while so I didn't really learn the game even when I started playing because there was just no tactics in it it was just like a foot race between me and some center back every Saturday morning so uh, I progressed a little bit each year I jumped a division in my local area I grew up in Nottingham so I just played for like the Nottinghamshire League so I started off in division two then the next season went in division one Played in there for a couple of years, and finally I was in like the the Premier Division in Nottingham. So some some decent competition, mainly just school boys around the area, and um, I really I really enjoyed it. But then all of a sudden, like high school was coming to an end, youth football was coming to an end, and I wanted to see if I could play a little bit more. So I joined a college in England. So college in England is 16 and 17 years of age. So your, your last two years of high school where you're either doing your A-levels or you can take a B-tech or something like that. And there was a, a college near me called Loughborough College, which was pretty well known for sports. And they had a, a football academy where they had a first team and a second team. They trained every day. And that was really appealing to me because I'd only been training once a week with my amateur team from the ages of 11 to 16. So I wanted to be in an environment where I could learn the game a bit more uh, went to a tryout, got into the the academy as a whole. So there was about 40, 50 players in there. And they divided that into a first team, a second team, and they called it a cross-college team. So I started off in the cross-college team, which is basically like the third team. Uh, but you're still training in the environment with the first team players, second team players. And our head coach was a guy called Steve Wilkinson. He was a Preston North End striker for a while. So he had a little bit of knowledge of the game and learned a lot from him. And just the fact of being in the environment training five times a week from usually training once a week, that alone was massive in my technical development, tactical development. And then I just progressed. We were there for two years. By the end of my first year, I was into the second team, captain in the second team. I progressed quite a bit. And then my second year back, I, I eventually got into the first team 
uh, was in and out at the beginning. And then by the end of it, I was pretty established on the wing at this point because I did start to learn the game a little bit more. I could actually do a little bit more than just foot races at that time. Mm-hmm. So I, I really enjoyed it. And then that year I started to get into non-league a little bit. I played for a team called Grantham Town, which I'm sure you know this league, Chris, the Unibon League. Yeah. I think it, or it was Evo Stick at the time. So, yep. so those lower league divisions. But my first experience of earning any money from playing just like £25 a game or something like that. But I loved it, and I loved how much I had developed in a short space of time. I think I was always good with the ball, just messing around with it all my life. But actually learning the game and uh, becoming more of a student of it, I really enjoyed that. And then that came to an end, and I was I was looking for more opportunities. Then I got a really random opportunity in the Nike Academy. Um, I'm not sure if they have the Nike Academy out. Did they have the Nike Academy out that way as well, eventually? um they've they've done some stuff in like thailand um okay. they haven't they haven't done some stuff haven't done much in the philippines no but yeah, to, to okay. talk about that that's quite interesting it was really random how i got into that to be fair so i was i had like a, a youtube channel at the time back then i was yeah. just like sometimes i would upload some like free kick videos and whatnot and i remember i got um a pair of nike football boots and inside the box, you had like this little code card thing that you type on the internet and you, you get like exclusive ap- access to the website for like events, you get little training drills and things like that. And um, I, I typed in this code and it said there was an event coming up in Birmingham, which wasn't too far from Loughborough, where I was at college. And you basically got to try out the new Superfly boots, right. the Nike Superflies. You got to run around a... Uh, a course they were calling it the Ronaldo speed test where you dribble around this course, you got to kick the ball in the net in the fastest time. And like individual dribbling drills were like my bread and butter. That's what I did every day, which fast forward is what I ended up doing on my YouTube channel. a <laughs> yeah. lot. So like that was just like my thing. So I was like, I'm absolutely going to go down there and tear this apart. And I did, I, I went there, I got the fastest time. And um, so they took the fastest players from Birmingham, Manchester, London, I think that was it. And then we went to like a grand final in London. So like the five fastest from Birmingham raced against the five fastest from London, etc. like a relay. And um, our team didn't win that, but it was still just a great experience. But through that, uh, uh, we got approached a couple of us and said they're having trials to this Nike Academy. At the time, this didn't exist. It was back in 2010. So we didn't know anything about it, but they were like, we'll, we'll keep in touch and let you know the details for it. So to get into that, you have to like submit a video of you mm-hmm. with some match highlights, some training highlights. I submitted mine, and then they invite me down for like a, a film shoot. So I got to film at uh, Barnet FC's like academy training pitch because that's where they were going to be having the trials. And then they end up having the trials, and I made it through a bunch of the rounds, and end up staying in the Nike Academy for about a month. And that was an amazing experience because like you're getting a lot of coaches there that had been in academies in the Premier League and yeah. Arsene Wenger came and gave a presentation to us and we're living in a hotel and we've got like proper nutrition for once, like three meals cooked for us a day and we're getting all this education around being an athlete, being a footballer and I loved it to be fair and then through that I was there for a short uh, period of time and through that I made some connections with a guy who ran a, a sports centre near me because he saw my stuff with Nike and he wanted me to help out his coaching clinics because he wanted to help promote it because he thought because I was endorsed in the way by Nike it would look good for his his camps and that and he he marketed it as like a race to Ronaldo but 
really it was like I did Ronaldo's test I never met Ronaldo in my life so. <laughs> uh, but that ended up being a really good connection because he was really good friends with one of the assistant coaches for Luton Towns under 18s and I was 18 at the time and they were playing against um, Mansfield Town in a friendly match because like most academies in England it's not the the league structure isn't always that good it's, it's a lot of friendlies between academies and this was around the time when Luton weren't even a pro team at the time they went into the blue square prem because of some issues at the club so they were having a friendly match and mark the the manager of the facility that knew me he he gave the manager a call he's like could, could he get a tryout or could he come and at least come and meet you at the game and the guy was just like well you know what if he if he wants to come down he can get a few minutes at the end of the game because it's just a friendly match i can't promise he'll get any any time but bring down and we'll, we'll see what we can do kind of thing so i go down there I, I meet the manager and he's like, yeah, we're, we're going to suit you up and we'll see if we can get you some minutes at the end and you can just have a few minutes to show me what you can do kind of thing. So I was like, geez, I, I'd never I'd never been in this kind of situation before. So I suit up, the game's going on. It's it's like around the 70th minute. He's like, warm up. So I'm like, okay, here we go. 10 more minutes pass. I've been warming up for ages at this point. And then <laughs> finally he's like, all right, you're going in. You're getting about 12 minutes. So I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do in 12 minutes? Thankfully, Luton was up 3-1 at this point, so I didn't feel like I had much pressure at all to like make anything happen. But I just went out there, and for some reason in those 12 minutes, I just like had a blinder, you know, like when everything just kind of flows. It, you, you can't really explain it, but really well. I ended up getting a goal, um, had some nice moments, won a couple of corners, but I just felt like every touch I took had some kind of impact. And then um, we chatted to the coach after, and he was like, yeah, just we'll, we'll, we'll have a deeper look at you. So if you want to come to the academy... You can do that. So I went. I went down, and um, he said can't provide any housing or anything like that. So I was staying in like a travel lodge about two miles from where Luton were training their, their academy, and uh, walking to training every day. I just remember at the time, like I didn't have much money because I was like working like really minimal hours at my my job and that. And to be able to go to Luton, I was literally working once a week. So I was I was eating like those porridge notes that you have in the cup where you just pour hot water over I was eating that, <laughs> and then i'd have like a banana for lunch and then just I, would, I was getting like mcdonald's in the evening like a happy meal pretty much just because like it was the cheapest option but it was brilliant i was in there and um my first experience in any kind of like high level environment like getting the coaching every day being around the players it was a tough environment I would say because obviously a lot of these academy boys had been in there for years and then they've got just some lad coming in like midway through the season. I think especially at that that point is because after under 18s, they're either going into reserves and first team or they're getting released. So I don't think um, they're as much accommodating as boys with new guys coming in and um, because they're all looking for a contract, of course, and looking to to further their career. So they're not really looking out for you. I didn't, I didn't really have a good chemistry with any of the guys there and I, I kind of felt a little bit written off by the coaches they were definitely doing me a massive favor by having me there because I had no previous experience in any academies apart from my college academy so fast forward I, I played about four games for them after that I started my second game there so my first game I came off the bench had a decent game the second game I, I started played awful like nothing could have gone worse like every ball i got to me was just a dodgy touch and then every shot was just an absolute shank and i definitely felt the pressure with that then i got benched the next game came up the came on at the end had a really really good game i remember scoring another goal in my third game 
And then they started me for another game and I just played awful again. So they were just like, yeah, obviously you haven't shown enough to to warrant us taking you any further. You had your opportunity and we like we enjoyed having you and but I think we're gonna we're gonna call it here. So at this point I'm how, how how old are you? How old are you at this point now, Mike? You're like what, eighteen? I'm eighteen. Eighteen, 18. years old. So yeah. I mean one of the things I think that's quite interesting, we have a lot of young guys that come on that, that listen to the podcast. And and they're quite unaware, I think, about that aspect because obviously for a lot of the people here, it's it's, it's primarily a play uh, pay for play type model. For example, with my academy, it's a pay for play model. Uh, you know, you, you probably kids that you have interactions with or watch your stuff in in America, they're the same. They are yeah. probably most of them are involved in that kind of setup. And one thing I think that is really um, missed out on in, in those types of environment is going into that pressure cooker of a trial type situation like tryouts even tryouts are different in, in the US in the sense of you can get a tryout at any club you know you can if, yeah. if you want when it's tryout season I mean they literally have a season for tryouts for a lot of these clubs and these guys can, can go and try out at any different club so if, if you have a bad day it doesn't really matter because right. you can probably go to another club and have another tryout one thing I think is really important that uh, people understand, and I, and I want you to sort of tell me a little bit more about how you felt in this, in this scenario, is, is when you're faced with the whole future in front of you, and you know, I have to perform on this given moment in this particular game. Otherwise, you know, my dreams and aspirations are not going to be fulfilled. I mean, did, did, did you sort of get that sort of feeling when you were having the tryout that this was a real pivotal moment in, in your career and you really had to perform? And, and how did you deal with that, that kind of pressure? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think especially because I've not, I've not had any experience. I hadn't been for a trial at a club in my entire life. And here's my mm. first one at 18. And I, I think for me personally, um, you almost feel like a bit of an imposter coming in. And I think I think that was hard for me because knowing that a lot of these boys had been in the academy from a, a young age, being groomed maybe four or five years prior. And then there's me coming in with no resume whatsoever. I'd not been at, I've not been released from any academies. This was like my first showing. And this is like the bottom of the barrel in terms of pro level in England. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a club that was in the Blue Square Prem trying to get back into League Two, you know, tr- just trying to, squeeze back in there and I think for me I was always feeling like I'm going to get found out I'm going to get found out that I'm not ready for this level I haven't had the tactical experience that these boys have had I've not had the the coaching um so yeah I, I think I think definitely for me I felt I felt a huge amount of pressure thinking like this is definitely my last opportunity to go it's like now or never and I, I made mistakes of trying to like watch i was like it's like the gold movies and things like that thinking like i watched this the night before get inspired and whatnot but it just doesn't help at all like i think maybe some people are different and that that pressure really helps them but for me it just makes me absolutely okay but i know myself learning how i play i have to be in kind of like a zen mode to really perform at my best being comfortable in my environment um comfortable that i i just get this level and I, I think that was a huge issue i was always lacking confidence thinking i don't deserve to be here i'm 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 being i'm lucky to be here kind of thing but not in like a grateful way like i'm going to make the most of it it's like i can't believe i've kind of slipped under the radar and managed to get into this this trial situation where then there's some lads over here who have been in like league one academies and things like that played and and very close to doing well maybe progressing onto the first team and just and just kind of 
slipping through the net a bit and then there's me just like I've really had to develop just to get to this point this is like my peak and for some of these boys this is like either a decline or they're going to be looking somewhere else and this is just a stepping stone kind of thing this was like the height of my career in England you know so I think just the word trial in England it, it, it has a lot of connotations with it and I think for any boy growing up, you, when you think of a trial, you're expecting to get into an academy a little earlier on if you're going to get if you're going to progress up the ranks in England, kind of thing. So I think you're pretty much written off if if at 14 you've not had any contact with academies or 16. We'll push it even to 16. But if by this point you've had no look at whatsoever by an academy, people just assume yeah, there's no way whatsoever because. I think the developed system in England, kind of, kind of like what you were saying, you don't pay to be there. It's kind of, they're looking at the best talent in England. They have a certain system where if you're good enough, they're going to provide all this opportunity for it, not just who, which parents have the money to be able to afford it. Or, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just think for, for me, that was just, I felt written off as a player. And I think in England, the culture is like that. If I shared with my mates, I'm going to go and try and make for a pro team, they'll just laugh at you, you know what I mean? Because they're like, you were playing for Goten Rangers two yeah. years ago. What are you talking about? Like, who, like, why do you think you can progress? There's, there's a reason that we have this academy system to develop these players. There's so much time and money been in there. What right would a player that has no experience coming in, why would they take a spot of somebody who's, who's literally been groomed from a young age to be a footballer? Basically, I think, yeah, I, think to be a I, I think. Sorry, since Mike, like I think there's that, <laughs> that that sort of stigma has has only really changed. I mean, there were examples. I mean, I remember from for, for me growing up, like Ian Wright came into the game really late. Is uh, yeah. you know he came from non-league and he he'd been to trials at clubs and then not got in, and then he he was he was quite late coming to the game. But it's only really, I would say, probably since the explosion of Jamie Vardy. Um, right. where people have been a little more open to, okay, there is a lot of talent in the sort of lower leagues or giving people the opportunity to say, although, look, people develop at different times. Like, like you're talking there about like your, your probably your um, emotional maturity is probably, was probably quite low at that point. You know, whereas sure. I, had my, I had my first trial, I was 11 years old. And, and I, I knew that this was my opportunity, but I, I, was, I was already of that mindset, even at that young age. I was like, no, nah, this is it, and I've got to make it, and I've got to make the most of that opportunity. Um, so I was probably a little more mature at that point. Um, since the emergence of people like Jamie Vardy, I think we've seen a lot more people who've come from non-league. You know, Chris Smalling's one. Uh, you know, he sort of came, came through the ranks. And I think a lot of time, it just takes time for people to develop. And, and I think as you look through... Um, that there were quite a few sort of uncut diamonds at, at that level who, who managed to, to, to come through the system. But no, I totally agree. I think it's really hard for a player when they go into that trial scenario, trying to make it, um, to not think you're a little bit of a fraud because I'm, I, yeah. I, I, know what it, I know what it was like when, when, when you go into a new club. No one says hello to you. No one shakes your hand. They know that you're there to essentially try and take their slot. And why would they? You know, why would they? I, I remember right. when, I was, when I was at Brighton and people came on trial, I wouldn't talk to anyone. Yeah, I mean, looking not. back, it's, it's, pr- it's pretty bad, really. You, know, you probably should be a little more accommodating because you should let your football do the talking. But it just wasn't the done thing, you know. And until yeah. you're in, until you're in, you're, you're an outsider, you know. And, and that, that's quite a daunting task for anyone. And, and from a mental perspective, it's really yeah. hard to kind of wrap your head around that. Yeah, I mean, and just mentality is so, so big in the game. I think I, think I 
I'm a perfect example of that because I worked so technically like so hard on my technique and, and a lot of coaches who come into contact with me when I'm in when I'm in like just a casual situation kicking around they're like brilliant yeah come on in but as soon as I'm thinking about something as soon as I'm having to actually process information that's when just everything goes out the window and I think a lot of players they see players like Jamie Vardy I, I do get a lot of messages from players around the world and they're like he got into the Premier League at 28 or 29 can i be a footballer i'm 27 i'm like well what was your experience before that even though he did break into the big time later on he was still absolutely killing it in non-league before that and and that's that's the difference you know i think it it's amazing story and it 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 rarely happens but it's not like he went from zero to 1000 like overnight there was a there was a definitely a lot of fortune in the opportunity because there is a lot of big talent in non-league in England. I mean, you know this well. There's quality players across the board and he must have had a lot of luck and being in the right place at the right time. But he had had the tools to compete and I I think he was... He's just very... Maybe he is more mature because he was kind of in that more blue-collar system for a longer period of time. And then when he got his opportunity, he's not probably one that would shy away from it. Yeah, definitely. He's probably... He has one. He has one job. You know what I mean. He just sprints at the goal. People knock mm-hmm. it in. He bangs it, and he's like, "Yeah, of course, I'll do this against anyone." Kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, one. So you you moved on from that. So obviously, you, you didn't get your contract. That was your, your first kind yeah. of taste of professional professional football. How how did that sort of reframe your mindset and and propelled you to obviously look into explore other opportunities abroad? Yeah, I. Yeah, I was a little bit lost at the time not gonna lie like immediately i was like well what do i do here i couldn't go and play semi-pro i I couldn't get back into my academy because i'd already graduated from college but i wanted to be in an environment where i can train every day because i know i knew i wasn't ready that i was mature enough to know i wasn't ready i didn't like let it shoot me in the foot but i was i was almost encouraged by the experience because i knew since being in a a full-time environment from 16 to 18 i had developed a lot I'd actually learned the game, studied the game, and I was like, yeah, I know I'm not going to be a top-level player. I, I know that for sure. There's just not enough time, you know, because there's there's kids being groomed from a young age. I don't know the game well enough here. It's not natural enough for me. I've still got a long way to go to get into any kind of level, but I knew I wanted to be in a full-time environment still. So that's why going to America was really appealing to go and play in university over there because yeah. the athletics in the US, it's not like college or university athletics in England it's it is like a reflection of the pro game you're training every day you're traveling as a team getting all your your gear provided for you getting access to athletic trainers and resources you know amazing facilities so that was really appealing and I, I knew I was at that time that age where I pretty much had to decide in England do I want to pursue football full-time or do I want to go to university and I wasn't ready to make that decision yet because I was still unsure. I was like, maybe there is something I could do with football and I can come back to university at a later date if I want to. So why not go somewhere where it's a different culture, it's a different style of play, especially in the US. I knew, I was very aware that the age, the consideration of what makes a young player is a lot different to England. So they're looking at college graduates. So they're looking at players that are 23, maybe even 24 before they're getting into pro teams out there. So I knew in England that's, that age is like a seasoned professional usually. They usually mm-hmm. have plenty of first-team games under their belt. They're usually getting into first-team 18, 19 years old. So I was like, okay, this maybe buys me a little bit more time to develop. 
and that maybe there's something I can do in another country because I played at close to sixth, around sixth, seventh, seventh tier in England. Maybe that means in the US I'm at a higher level. I don't know, but I was thinking I have a chance. So I, I literally just remember for weeks on end just writing basically a bulk email, like, <laughs> like one that I could just change the name of coach so-and-so. I'm Michael. I've played at this club, this club. Uh, here's my highlight video. And then I just found so many different emails off Google, just typing in Division One, Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, as many as I could find. Probably sent 500 emails over the course of a couple months. And like, I will take whatever gives me the best scholarship. I really don't <laughs> care. Um, I shot myself in the foot early on with that because did you play in? You didn't play in the US. That, I know Simon yeah, I did. Did, but, yeah, I did. Did you yeah, go out there as well? Yeah. So you know about uh, like the clearinghouse NCAA. So I I did get some feedback from coaches like, yeah, we would love to like take the next step. Here's the clearinghouse uh, link. You have to fill this out, and we can get you get the ball rolling basically. So when I get this form from the clearinghouse, it's asking me like, have you ever been paid to play on a team? I'm like, yeah, I used to get twenty five pound a week. Yeah, I did. Brilliant. Like I thought it was like a like if I say this, it makes me look better. Like it's going to get me more scholarship money. And yeah. they're like, have you ever been sponsored or being given gear by team? I'm like, yeah, Nike Academy from this to this, this is the name of my coach, blah, blah, blah. And then quickly found out that I wasn't eligible for NCAA. So yeah. it's not like I could just try and type in a new form. They, they put the rules I got you there. So that was it for NCAA. So then I'm limited to where I can go. I can't go to NCAA division one, two or three, but I can go to NAIA because their rules are a lot more flexible. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to be in college the year before you could take a break from education for like three or four years and still go back. They don't even look at your previous history further than like a few months. So I was like, brilliant. Right. So I ended up getting into a school in New York, we went back and forth for a while. I was choosing between the two. And I thought when he said New York, I was going to be like in New York city. I didn't realize how big New York state is. So I land in Rochester, New York. And they're like, all right, what's the first thing you want to do? I was like, I want to go to the city. I want to see empire state building. They're like, it's like six hour drive away mate like <laughs> so i end up in the middle of nowhere but it's perfect for me it's like a brand new culture and because it's so remote no other british lads there so everybody's obviously fascinated with with me as a player they're just assuming i'm going to be incredible because they just think every player from england is an absolute baller and uh <laughs> Anyway, I do very well, and I, I think just the environment was so welcoming. It was completely different to my experience at Luton. Like the lads really wanted to help and really wanted me to to thrive, and you could get that right away. I think there was just something different about knowing you're definitely going to be here the next four years. They don't know they're going to be playing with you the next four years. They want it to be a good experience. It's not like a doggy kind of environment like it would be in an academy. So I really did well in this environment and I got into a leadership role pretty early. My my coach gave me a uh, captaincy with another player. So I think that really helped my confidence being able to lead other players. I felt like I had to be more of an example. So I trained a lot more individually at this time as well. And obviously we're still training every day as a team. But thankfully that team actually went into the NCAA the year after anyway. They had a transition year and we went into Division 2. We went into a decent conference. So just by luck, I ended up playing in an all right conference. Um, one that was decently enough respected that I could get other connections through it. So one of the summers I was in college, I played in the PDL, which I don't know if you played in that, Chris, as well. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I didn't play PDL. I played, I coached as well in the MPSL, which is this, oh, the, yeah. the, the, the duplicate tier, I would, yeah. I would say. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that that was brilliant because um, they they it was called the USLPDL, so they had a lot of connections with USL teams, which I didn't even know much about before I went out, but it is now their second tier here in the US. And there was a team in Rochester in the USL called the Rochester Rhinos. So me and the coach kind of stayed in touch through my college career. And it was pretty much, I was anticipating I was going to go and play there after. So after my senior year, I did pretty well. Like that year, I, I was like leading scorer in my team, All-American. So my resume looked a lot better than when I when I walked in. So I went into train with this Rochester Rhinos. It was, it was decent. I wasn't, I was still in college, so I wasn't like going to be able to play for my my first month there for sure because I had to finish out my school. So the plan was that when I was when I was finished and graduated, I was going to hopefully play. The coach wasn't ready to pull the trigger and offer me a contract. That at the end he said he'd rather I got more experience. So he tried to put me in touch with more PDL teams to go away and play for another summer. And he said maybe we'll take another look at you. And by this point, I was I was just ready to play. You know, I really wanted to play. A higher level i wanted to play with men as well some experienced players so that's when i start to like look elsewhere I think maybe i'll go and find somewhere and then come back and play for the rhinos so i did the same thing that i did before i went to college i just emailed loads of coaches all around the world just with my college highlight video my resume my updated resume and just sent out mass emails everywhere and I'm just like first first team that's going to sign me I'm, I'm going to go for it. It doesn't matter if it's in Israel. It doesn't matter if it's in Japan, like wherever it is, I'm so up for it. I'm ready for a new culture. I'm going to do it. And um, for some reason, it just seemed like the coaches in Australia were more responsive to my emails than ever. They were just like really on it, like getting back to me within a couple of days. So I looked into it more and I was contacting coaches in the NPL. So it's like, they're yeah. not, there's a promotion relegation, but they're the second level on the pyramid and they don't have any connection to the A-League, but that's like the highest outside of professional in Australia. So I was like, I'm really keen on that. Can I just go back? Can I go back a stage with this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, because yeah. What, what I'm really, what I'm really intrigued with this is how did you go about breaking up who you wanted to contact because the world's a big place, mate. You know what I mean? Like yeah, how, yeah. How, and, and, how do you, and how do you sort of pitch a level that you think would be, uh, you know, where you were at, at that particular moment in time? Because, you know, in, in your mind, you might envisage, oh, I don't know, the Faroe Island Premier League might be a really good level, but it might not be. Do you know what I mean? So, that, like, yeah. how, how, have you, how have you gone about doing this? Because you sort of glazed over it. But in my mind, I'm thinking, this is a lot of work. Michael, this is a yeah, really arduous task. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, please. Oh, it was full-time full work. Like I, So that summer when I was looking, because I was working on campus, I was a groundskeeper with another lad, and we'd have an hour lunch every day, and we lived on campus. So I'd take like the little gator uh, lawnmower thing back to my dorm, and for an hour, just brrr, emails for an hour, blah, 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 blah. Then I'd go back to work, come back that evening, and I did that for about two hours. So how I would do it, I would just... Thankfully, with social media and everything and YouTube, I would just look up like Australian second division or like um, Swedish Swedish professional league system. That's what I put in Google. And it always comes up on Wikipedia, gives you the pyramid. So it'd be like, I'll 
Svenskan, like their top league or something like that, then I'd I'd always look at like the one below because I'm like, there's no way I'm getting to anywhere that's on FIFA. If I if I can play FIFA and find this <laughs> team, I'm not getting into this team. There is no way. So I'd always look at like the second and third tier. Always, I I never even attempted to contact anyone in the top because I know they have their own scouting systems. Sure, they're either scouting players from academies. They either have their own academy or they're getting like transfer transfers in from established professionals. So like, there's no point trying to compete and. And I don't even have a case to convince them why they should even have a look at me. So I always was second and third division. So I remember I looked at Austria. That was one that was really appealing. I was thinking, because I knew about like the 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 Red Bulls out there. I was thinking that, that could be good. A lot of South American countries. I avoided Brazil because I was like, there is just absolutely no, like even their 12th division is going to be like insane. So... I, I did quite a lot in Europe because I was thinking that would be nice with my British passport, easy to get into. So, But really never got a good response from anywhere in Europe. They all had their own, like, it was kind of like similar to, I think because in Europe it is such a, a high level sport in most countries, even in their second and third divisions, they have their own scouting systems. A lot of them have academies. A lot of them are just have their own ways of getting players so i never really got a good response from anyone in europe so i started to look a bit further i, I contacted some teams in the middle east there was some decent response but there was always a little bit of a lot was lost in translation they wanted to speak to my agent or they wanted to speak to you know they wanted they wanted representatives at all time to speak on my behalf and i didn't have an agent or anything so i was doing this all literally promoting myself trying to convinced coaches I was a good player and, and for them to give me a chance. And um, Australia was re- was probably the cleanest and easiest to contact because when I looked on Wikipedia at second division at NPL, it broke it down into each region of Australia, like Victoria, um, Gold Coast. Then each, each bracket had their own list of teams. Then you click on that, it goes straight to their website and you can get the email of the coaches. So I was literally able to just find their coaches and actually have a, a personal email with them. And I think that might have like played a huge role in it as well. Instead of just doing the mass email to them, I was emailing individual people and kind of doing a bit more research and showing my interest in not only the team, but Australia. And I think obviously being a part of the Commonwealth, I didn't, the visa process was really easy for me to, to get in Australia. So I think all of these things played together and it was it was a lot easier for them, a lot less risk because they're dealing with someone who can easily get a visa in the country. I think they understood the English, the uh, American league a little bit more. So they understood the level that I was at and level I had played at. Um, and obviously they speak perfect English. So I was <laughs> communicate with them. Um, but yeah, I ended up, I was Australia. I ended up was choosing between four teams right up until the last moment. And even when I was on the plane, I was still in contact with two coaches because I was essentially getting a trial, but it was an extended trial. And um, I went to Melbourne, uh, Melbourne, because the NPL Victoria, after doing some research, was meant to be pretty competitive. They had like a Melbourne victory, had a, a team in the NPL. So I knew there was some connections with the A-League. It looked a little bit more professional and that's where I wanted to play. So I contacted pretty much every team probably in the league. And some of them said, oh, we already have our foreigner spot taken up because you can only take two foreigners per per team in Australia. And I didn't know this before, sort of getting close to the end that that was going to be a restriction. So I kind of wish I had 
reach out a bit earlier on to give myself a little bit more time. But I ended up getting to Melbourne, and while I was in the air, they had signed a a Greek player, a Greek centre back. So they were down to one spot. And I only found this out once I got there. And then so I was like, no, it's going to be all right though. But when I got into training, there was eight other internationals competing for a spot. So I'm like, oh my god! Like I've already like booked my Airbnb for the entire month. Um, if I if it, if it doesn't work out here, I've got to try and get to Perth or the Gold Coast, which is Australia's a big place. It's not just like driving up the road. It's uh, a whole nother, a whole nother organized, like you have to get a whole nother accommodation. You have to get flights, everything. So I was a little bit panicky at this time, but I was a little bit more mature to handle the situation at this time. I felt a lot different to any of my trials I've had before because I felt like I had a good connection with the coaches. We'd, we'd been in touch for almost four or five months. So like I knew they were, were serious. They were checking with me. It wasn't always just me with them so i felt really good about it and uh had a good first two trial games and they ended up signing me uh after that second game so thankfully i ended up getting contract in australia and that was my first experience being on a team where i was earning enough so that i only had to play football so um that that was really my first sort of my first introduction to what it would be like being a full-time player and um, how old are you at this point mike I was 24 at this point. So I graduated 23, 23, 24. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to bring Jing into this because we, we've had quite a few um, people, haven't we, Jing, come on the show and talk about how they've had to connect with people to get where they need to be. So for example, we had a a young guy, I'm not sure if he was there when you were there at Moralco, William Valtos, but he went to Wake Forest. Um, Okay. It was was only a young, young kid, but yeah, and he was saying yeah, something first. similar. Yeah, he was saying something similar. Like he said, he would, you know, get home and he would just be emailing coaches mm. nonstop. You know, um, being willing to to fly out, go and do the camps, and and that sort of thing. I think, Jing, there's there's definitely a theme running here, isn't it? About you need to have this sort of dogged determination to be willing to put yourself out, to be willing to, you know, extend invitations, extend emails, extend phone calls to people in order to get where you need to go. I, I think, Jing, we've had this conversation, haven't we, a, a bunch of times with a bunch of different people. And it's definitely a running theme on this podcast. Yeah, I think I feel like, you know, a lot of people feel as if um, they need representative, representatives to get to that spot, you know, to, to have people sort it out for them. But it's actually possible to do it on your own, you know. And it, it takes uh, a little bit of research. It really does to be able to figure out that, you know, the football world is huge. It's gigantic and there's opportunities all over the world. But if you're going to be able to maximize those opportunities or to explore new opportunities, then you really got to do your due diligence. You got to research, you got to you know, contact the right person and uh, you got to take your chance. You know, you got to shoot your shot and you got to make mistakes as well. Like Michael was talking about a while ago that, you know, talking about the information that you probably shouldn't have disclosed, you know, but you're not going to learn unless you try it, you know, and yeah. um, eventually you're going to be able to, to to figure your way forward. But it's quite interesting that you yeah. found your way at around 23, 24 as well, because in the Philippines, it's quite similar. You know, you come out of the university. A lot of our players are around that age, um, whereas in, in, the, in places like the UK and all over Europe, a lot of the kids who are getting into the pro game are, are barely 20, right? They're just breaking into their 20s when they're already being exposed to that level. Um, it's quite similar for us here. Um, the guys are a little bit older, and you feel as if, man, there was, there was some lost time there. Like You feel as if maybe they could have been integrated into the program a little bit sooner. But, you know, that, that, that's still up in the air. What did it feel like for you being um, 
in Australia already at around 23, 24. Obviously, your your maturity is there emotionally, as you as you mentioned. But what was it like being integrated in a pro team where players might have been in and around that setup at an earlier age? Yeah, it was it it was tough. I mean. I think at this point, one big factor that helped me, I, I forgot to mention, I was married at this point. So I got married right at the end of my, my college career. So literally two weeks before... I'll show you one thing about this. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, one small, one small detail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope you don't listen to this one. You're going you're to be in big yeah. trouble. <laughs> <laughs> one massive detail. Um, yeah, yeah. The most there we important go. detail. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got, we got married literally two weeks before we flew out to Australia. So we were kind of navigating this together a lot as well. We, so she, she's like a lot smarter than I am. So she's very good at kind of cutting through when I'm, when I'm, cause when I've got something on my mind and I want to do it, I'm just like all in, you know what I mean? Like I would have flown out. I would have flown out anyway. Like even if I didn't have a trial, I would have just flown out to Australia and just done it. But she definitely made sure that it felt like I had taken all the steps I possibly could keeping in touch with the coaches, making sure an actual date was lined up. She's like, like, show me when training is going to start when you're in Australia. Show me like your match schedule, show me everything. So I know that we're, we're going for this date for this time. And there's a reason we're going like, show me the email, show me the conversation, she would read through it and make sure everything looked right. Because I'm the kind of person where like, if I emailed a team in Hungary and the coach said like, yeah, we might be able to see you. I'm like, that's a yes. I'm going, you know, like, and I just would have gone. But she was very good at kind of navigating through that with me and like taking the emotion out of it because obviously I just wanted to sign a contract. So I was gun ho and she was a little bit more practical thinking because obviously we're going together. She's like, okay, what am I going to do when I'm there? Can I get the visa? And even when we were there, when like I had like negotiations for my contract and things like that, she would, she would help me through that because I would have paid, I would have played for pennies. I would have took a contract that, we wouldn't have been able to survive off easily, but it was easy to walk in there and just be like, you know, like I'm married, like this is how much our rent is. This is how much I'm going to need and things like that. And I don't think I would have taken those steps without having somebody else with a bit more of a level head with me. So I think I can't take credit for the maturity during all of that, all of it, but it was, it was a lot easier to navigate, I would say. And I wasn't alone this time doing it. So, and I think there was a bit more, a good pressure on me as well. So when I was at these trials, it was like for me and my wife, like I want to stay here for me and my wife. And it wasn't just me. I, I didn't, cause for me, I can be like, Oh, if it doesn't work out, I'll go somewhere else. But I knew with her, she'd been looking at jobs and things like that, already making connections with businesses out there. So I was like, I took it a lot more seriously. And um, I, I think all of those things adding together, I saw, I treated this more like a job rather than just like a dream. You know what I mean? A lot of people like treat it like really emotionally and just like, again like listening to those like motivational speeches before they go and things like that i was just like no i'm here to do a job now i treated it like i've applied for the job this is my interview for the job now i need to negotiate my salary for the job and i thought about it a little bit more from from a business standpoint i suppose and some some that made sense rather than i'm just kicking a ball around and um having fun with it i think so it was a lot different but it helped a lot not being alone through through all of that and at um, this point you you're not doing any videos yet um you, you hadn't started in that in that no. path yet so what with the videos i i 
did them way back when I was like 11, 12, 13, had some free kick videos, left it there. Then my only videos between the ages of like 14 and 18 was uploading like highlight videos. And Ooh. it's not something I was doing for, it was just so I could that pictures. It's not like my channel was growing or anything as a result. Um, the only time I uploaded a little bit was in college. I had a class. It was an entre entrepreneurship class where you basically for your final project, you had to come up with some kind of side business that you could do alongside your job and a bit of extra income and using technology, using resources that you don't have to have upfront costs for. And it was just trying to like get students to kind of exercise their brains a bit. How can you be creative with with the modern age. And so I came up with the idea of having an online football academy because when I was on the PDL team um, the summer before, I was in Mexico. We went to a orphanage for a week and we just basically had to run clinics all week. And something that really inspired me when I was down there is like I would see the kids, they would just pick up their iPads, they would watch something like Ronaldinho doing a move and then they would just put the iPad down trying to learn Alaska or something like that. I'm like, this is me when I was 11, 12, but I had to like go on LimeWire downloading videos. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the access like these kids have. I had to like really, I had like the Michael Owen DVD that I'd have to like put the VHS in, then run outside, try and replicate the move, come back and say, what, what did he do again? So just seeing how like resourceful these kids would be. And I was like, if there's somebody out there that could give actual training drills and sort of be an online coach, online mentor, this could be, Awesome. So I made five videos for that class just for examples. That's what I had to give. And I did like a speed training drill, some shooting drill, basically just five drills for different attributes. And they were just my examples. And then I made like a little trailer for it. But I just left those videos there. And it's funny because I came back to those videos a couple of years later when I was in Australia after a while and they generated quite a bit of traffic and I'd looked at the comments and they were like, can you make some more of these videos? I've been doing these spins. They're great. Uh, I'd love some more ideas and things like that. So I was like, nah, like I don't have time for this right now. So I kind of just like stacked it off and left it there. But fast forward a little bit. Um, so this is after the Philippines. We'll come back. We'll come back to Philippines. But after that, I came back to the U S and I actually got, uh, I was, I was in training with the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, a USL team, and I picked up a MCL tear, so that the ligament on the inside of your knee, some guy basically collided with me from the outside of my knee and my knee bent inwards, snapped that tendon, and I was out for maybe four, four or five months from playing competitively. And this was at a time when we just applied for green cards, so I couldn't, I couldn't get a job. Uh, I didn't have health insurance. I wasn't signed to a club, so I was a bit like panicky, like, like doom and gloom thinking like my my dreams are ended everything's like i can't get a job i can't even exercise right now properly so i was like what can i do during this time and i finally got to the point where i was able to start like training and again a little bit so i was like maybe i could be maybe i could put some more youtube videos up because those videos have continued to get views even a couple more years after i think some of those views had like 100k views at the time which for me was just oh, wow. like unbelievable because it is kind of content that like doesn't it's not a trend it's like even 10 years later, someone wants little Timmy's going to pick up playing soccer and he wants to know how to curl a football, you know what I mean? And uh, so these, the kind of videos that I put up, they just like continuously got new traction on it slowly, but surely it wasn't like viral videos quite solidly. They were getting content. So I was like, maybe I could just put a few of these up. So I started putting like my, my rehab videos back uh, on there and showing the drills I was doing to kind of, uh, get back in playing after an injury and things like that. And then people liked it. And then I started putting more up and then people liked it even more. And then it just kind of snowballed on from there. And it, yeah, it just literally got to the point that by the time I'd gotten my green card, 
and went for job interviews and things like that. The YouTube side of things, the online stuff was earning me more than what I was being offered by these jobs. So I was like, maybe this is going to be my thing now. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm going to be a YouTuber. And um, yeah, I took it. I, like, I, I enjoyed what I was doing because I, I felt like it is stuff that is genuinely helpful. I wasn't like trying to do like trick shots, which I love watching myself, but I wasn't like trying to put on any kind of facade or anything like that, trying to be like, I wasn't trying to be like the F2 freestylers or anything. I was just putting out normal, humble content that I think a lot of younger players could relate to and basically just showing the drills that I was doing between the ages of 13 to 16 when I wasn't training with a team every day. I was only training with a team once a week. So I was doing a lot of extra work on the side and literally just cycling through every drill I could think of and putting it on YouTube and people just enjoyed it. And I, and it makes sense because it's stuff that I enjoy training by myself. It will keep me stimulated. So of course it's going to help these other players if, if they're like me and just love playing, you know? So how did you go, how did you go about it? Mike, like with regards to doing yeah. your setup, like what, one thing I'm quite interested in is, you know, especially in this climate, everyone's on YouTube. My kids are on YouTube five hours a day so you know they're, they're looking yeah. at like nerf gun wars you're, you're not the, uh, the idol at the yeah. moment but like i'm looking at these, these nerf gun guys you know they've got like two three million subscribers and they're getting like 50 60 million views on, on a nerf yeah. gun fight and i'm thinking this is like this is crazy like how how did you sort of get started was it just literally you with a phone just propping it up and then just shooting it like um by yourself or, or did you have a team of you know you and a couple of friends who, who would go out and do it how how, how did you sort of go about initially yeah. with the production side literally a phone i think i had an iphone 4 when i was like getting into it i was what i would do is i got a, i'll take a wheelie bin because every pitch around here has a wheelie bin so i'd take right. a wheelie bin and on top of that i'd put a shoe and at the back of the shoe it's kind of thin so you can kind of wedge the phone in and that was my tripod just there and then like that was it so i just filmed i'd basically film one drill but film it from like five different angles so i was out there like doing the drill like five times and then i do the next drill so it would take a while but i was just doing different angles of the same drill and then i would usually do like a voiceover or like explain it before or just and what are you doing for that are you just are you just putting the headphones in are you doing like on the audio on the laptop like how are you how are you doing the voiceover stuff yeah well back back then i was literally like voice memo into my phone uploading yeah? the clip onto okay. my laptop now it's nice i've actually got like real equipment where i can just like talk <laughs> into it and but yeah, yeah, I mean, I was, I was just a couple of weeks ago, you can do this thing on YouTube where you look at your oldest video. It like flips everything around. So your oldest right. first, some of those videos, videos are brutal. Like, oh, like I didn't know what editing was. So like if I, if I was in the middle of a sentence and I forgot what I was saying, I would literally just look off to the side, pause for about seconds, continue talking. But obviously now I learned how to edit. So like there's, I'd have like a 15 minute video talking about, a pair of football boots or something like that and it absolute gibberish all the time repeating myself over again so it was very rough at first and um yeah but it's nice to look at things like that because i i just think without anything you get a lot more efficient at it you you learn as you go you upgrade your equipment and i'm i'm big on only making upgrades if it's like absolutely necessary so like i only got a proper laptop and a proper camera a year ago and I'd, i was already at like two hundred thousand subscribers at this point so i was like all right, maybe it's time that I invest a little bit more into it to give my audience better quality. So I always make it that way. So I'm not just like out there try, trying to get the best drone, the best this and that, right. because you can have the best equipment in the world, but you need to make sure like your actual content, people are receiving it first. 
because I think a lot of people's mistake, they, they invest so much up front and then they're not getting the response yet on their videos, which is normal at first because YouTube doesn't know you exist yet. So you've got no reputation. You've got no, um, you're not in the algorithm yet. So it's best to come up with content first that is just consistently being received. Then once it's growing, then it's time to invest back into it because people will love if they're getting the same content from you, but it's just a little bit better quality. If it's like nicer to watch and the audio is better and things like that. So I think, I think that's always been my system It's keep the content, the same stage to the content and then work around that. Try and try and get better audio, try and get better camera equipment. Maybe I'll get like a stabilizer now. So I'm not as shaky with the moving <laughs> clips and things like that. Maybe I will get a drone at some point to show like an overshot of like a full pitch doing some fitness drills and, but it's as we go. It's a learning process for me. But I, I love video edit, editing anyway. In fact, in um, my Are you self-taught school, with that you... as well? Are you self? We used to self-taught with that. Yeah. So well, self-taught. I took it. Um, in GCSEs, you know, you can pick three subjects, right? So you have your maths, your science, and then you yeah. pick three. So I picked sports, art, and film studies. Oh, so really? we did okay. learn. Right, cool. Yeah, we didn't learn how to to actually use equipment, but we learn angles. So like we'd watch like a film trailer and then we learn about angles, like what a low angle represents. Like it represents like dominant. If the camera's low and the person's high, it means they're like a, a they're the demon. They're the, the nemesis in it. Yeah. That's always the angle. And you'll notice in like films like Batman and things like that, they're always showing like the bad guy from a low angle because it makes them look big. You know what I mean? So just learning how different angles portray different things. And I learned that with sports as well. What, what kind of angles make it look more exciting? So how can I make a drill of me just dribbling through cones look a little bit more pleasing on the eye, I suppose. So yeah, that was always fascinating to me to take something really boring and make it, a bit more pleasing to watch so that's something i've always tried with my videos as well just because it's normal i want to give true information and the fortunate thing when it comes to football to teach someone the right things the techniques it's boring because it's all about repetition it's not it's not about the knuckleballs and like the bin shots the trick shots which is easy to watch it's about the boring stuff so how can i keep my message true while actually getting players to receive it, younger players, because it's not easy for a 10-year-old to watch a video of, of just me doing comb weaves or just me kicking the ball into the net with the inside of my foot. They want to know, oh, but I want a knuckleball at top corner and things like that. They don't, but I'm really trying to get that point across of it's just the basics and it's repetition over and over again and just trying to show different drills how they can develop those things. But it's still a learning process. I've got a long way to go even now, but... I'm enjoying it, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what, what I'm quite amazed with, and we, we have sort of moved, we segued into this. Yeah, I think kind of by accident, kind of by accident, but I think it's a really important aspect of this. Is I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong here, that a lot of people go into this thinking, I want to be a YouTube star. I, I love, I want to get all this adulation. Uh, I'm going to post a few videos. They probably don't get a lot of traction early doors, and then oh, yeah, I just, I just. I can't stick it out. I, I, I'm not getting any traction after two or three videos. What, you know, how, how comes this guy's getting, you know, 50,000, 100,000, 500,000 millions of views? Like, at what point did you start to realize, right, you know, this is actually a worthwhile and viable career option for me? Like, I'm assuming you're spending a lot of time editing, putting, a, like I said, shooting for different angles, editing it all together, um, 
putting the content out there, responding to comments and things like that. At, at what point did you realize, oh my gosh, this actually is a viable career option for me? Yeah, I, I think I was definitely in a unique position because um, it's a very slow growth. YouTube is very tough to crack. I wouldn't say tough, but it takes a long time. And because I was in that position where I was waiting on my green card and couldn't work, this was my only project. And even at the beginning, it wasn't it wasn't growing at all. But because I had nothing else to do, and this is what was keeping me sane at the time, I was still pouring into it, even though I wasn't getting rewarded on the other end of it. So I kind of learned by accident. And I, I mean, who knows? If I was able to work straight away, I might have been impatient with it and just gone and thought, oh, I'm just going to go get a job or I'm going to do something else and sack this off because it's not it's not providing but because that was my only only thing at the time i stuck with it but just to put things in perspective to get to five thousand subscribers took me almost a year a year later i got a hundred thousand subscribers and then a year after that i was at three hundred thousand subscribers oh sorry no a year after that i'm almost at five hundred thousand subscribers that's a year that was two years ago two years ago i was at five thousand subscribers but that year before, it took me a year to get to 5,000. So it was a very, and that was an amazing achievement for me at the time, the 5,000. Yeah. But the acceleration after that was just unbelievable. It just like, suddenly things start to click. Once you get enough videos up there that are consistently being well received, I think that's just when it snowballs because then you get a new subscriber that sees your video for the first time. They're like, I like this. Then they go back and watch everything else. And then they suggest it to their friends. They do the same thing. They're introduced. They go back and watch everything else. And it's just kind of like a, like some of my most popular videos only became popular two years after they were uploaded. You know what I mean? So like, oh, really? Okay. The first, yeah. So like some of my, and it's always that evergreen stuff, like something based like how to shoot with power or how to pass with, you know, how to pass on the ground, how to do a driven pass or something like that. They get, they get the biggest views in the end because it's something that is always going to want to be learned every year by a different player because there's new players being introduced to the game every year and they want to learn the basics so they get on it and then the year after there's a whole new wave of players being introduced to football they want to learn basics and that's that is a good uh, model to have if you don't have viral content like some of these big YouTubers have where they can get trend within the first 24 hours and boom, that that one video blows up. But then in six months from that point, that same video isn't going to be viewed because the trend's over. But they're keeping up with the trends the entire time, so they're always doing well. But if you can come up with a, a channel, like this is why a lot of fit, the fitness um, industry does well on there because there's always going to be someone wanting to learn how to do a push-up or someone's going to be le- like how to improve your 5k running time or something like that. So this stuff is always relevant. It's not viral. It's just like, it's just like if you wanted to learn how to do your own oil change on your car, a lot of those kind of videos probably do really well because, you know, all of us are going to come into something where we, we click on YouTube and look to learn something. I'm sure you did something this week where you, you've wanted, you needed to do something and um, you look to YouTube for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. if you can how provide lasting five... value, <laughs> how to unplug the kitchen sink was me. Amazing. Um, the interesting thing to me is it's like um, you know, you, you talk about it like, you know, these are some basic skills, right? That that I, I learned when I was younger and I want other people to pick up as well. But if it's if it's a basic technique, I'd imagine that there's quite a few videos 
out there that might be out there? Do you study the competition and try to change your content so that it's, it's, it's unique? Or do you just, you know, I want my followers to learn something new and this is what I want them to learn and I'm just going to execute that. Do you spend much time at all worrying about the competition? Yeah, that's a good point. And that, that's what I've always been very, very pers- purposeful to do on YouTube. Like I try not to subscribe to similar channels unless like it's somebody like I know or something, but I, I really want to make sure I'm always delivering my style because um, I, I know that my own delivery is, is appealing for my audience and I don't want to, I don't want to be influenced. I, w- I want to make sure I'm doing it in my way. And, um, I think I do, I- I'm quite a rambler. I'm very detailed, a bit over the top sometimes, but I think some <laughs> people resonate with that. And and that's why with my videos, I try and title it in a way that's like five steps because I know I talk for a long time. So I make sure I like say there's going to be this amount of steps and then like put in the note card below, like if you want this step, it's here. So I want to make sure that even if I talk for an hour about how to juggle a ball or something like that, I want to make sure I'm getting key points across. But I, I think I think that is my style. It, it's very, I'm more like the detailed. Instead of like the quick and flashy, I I, I take my time with it. And I think I think people like people like that, especially for for newer players to the game. I think that that information is is what is well received. I, I kind of don't, try not to miss any angles because I think it's easy for like if you ask like Wayne Rooney how to ping a football, I struggle to tell you because it's so natural for him and like mm. he's done it millions of times. It doesn't really have to teach someone. So I've I've really made sure I spent the time watching a lot of top level players on their technique, trying to replicate it myself looking at what they're doing with their arm, looking at what they're doing with their planting foot, where they're pointing and things like that, and then playing around with it and actually feeling the differences for myself and then explaining that because for the top-level players, it's so natural that it's so hard for them to teach because their body just does it. So I'm, try- I'm trying Mike, to teach. Mike, you, you know, yeah. So, yeah, so let me just interject there. It's so ironic that you came up with that particular example. I had a, a friend of mine who's a PE teacher, and he said that the, the biggest nightmare you can get when you're being assessed is having your assessor go up to one of your pupils who is really, really good and have them try to explain why they did that particular action. And he, the example he gave was, imagine if you give Wayne Rooney, like, is, no what, 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 why, did you, why did you dribble around three players and shot the ball in the top corner there? Like, what was your thought process? He would just turn around and go, I don't know, I just did it, right? But what, what I'm thinking about with that is, again, just let, let me know if, if you've had given this much credence or much thought, is I'm assuming that given what you said about your experience growing up and some of the deficiencies that you experienced maybe on the coaching side or because you came late to the game, is, is that where you think this sort of fuel for wanting to break things down and explaining it to to do players who are watching on this on, on your channel, do you think that's where it stems from? From the fact that perhaps you didn't get some of this, or you you had difficulty trying to um, acquire some of this information at a young age, and you want to make it more digestible for for you know the Michael Cunningham of 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 today? Yeah, hundred percent. is is a hundred percent that because I was literally training with the team once a week from eleven till sixteen, and we went there was no coaching points we would literally come to like a five-a-side pitch we'd do a little passing thing we just play so there was no there was never like a coach breaking things down for us so i was obsessed with learning because I, I always i really wanted to improve i really wanted to get better and i remember just watching 
footage of Gerard and Beckham slowing it down and like, why does Beckham whip his arm like that? Why does he rotate his hips like that? And then I, I had a goal in my garden, so I'd literally go out there and be like, I'm going to try what he does and see what that feels like. It feels a little bit off at first, but there's, and then I just repeat it over and over again and seeing the effect it had on the ball. And I think I was just like, so, so focused on learning their technique and why it works so well for them. And like, because I, I just noticed differences in the way different players struck the ball. Gerard's a lot different to Beckham. Beckham's a lot different to Rooney. Michael Owen has his own style and things like that. So I just look at them all and, and see what little differences in technique has a different effect on the ball. And I was just absolutely obsessed with that in my garden growing up. So I think I, I, I processed all this myself so deep that it's just like, I want to share it because I know there's a lot of players like me who aren't getting coached at a young age, aren't being taught how to kick a ball, but want to kick it right. Because I think there is so many players aspiring to get to a level, whether they want to be at the highest level or not. I, th I think they look up to these players and they just think if they just go out and practice over and over again, it's great. But you do, I think you do need a little bit of guidance if you don't have coaches around you. Because if I didn't have any guidance, I would still be toe-poking the ball now. You know yeah. what I mean? I wouldn't it needs have to be purposeful, whatsoever. doesn't it? It needs to be purposeful yeah. practice. Absolutely. Totally agree. Totally yeah, agree. so I just, I just wanted to make sure that even though I didn't have coaches around me i was still put myself in the best best situation where i could develop in a way that's going to give me good technique and or what i consider good from from the top level players and yeah i just think it was just an obsession of of trying trying to see what they're doing break it down and apply it in my own garden kind of thing and finding out what works, what doesn't. And I, but I do think it's important to have your own style. It's not like I, I completely replicate that, but there's just certain things like the planting. So it needs to be pointing at your target. Um, most players have their arm out for balance because you're on one leg and, you know, little things like that, that is overlooked, but those little tiny differences can make a huge difference. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. I think it's cool. It's quite interesting. And then when, you, when you're looking at, like, you know, you're saying that you're upping your game, the, the quality of your videos are increasing, you're, you're looking at your uh, new equipment and stuff like that, that, how are you learning to up the quality of your videos? Is there, like, a, a course that you're taking or uh, individuals that you're collaborating with that, that, that push your game uh, in terms of the quality of your videos? Or did you still on YouTube? Uh do you just look up on YouTube? <laughs> oh, that's the thing. I do just look it up on YouTube mostly. Like, <laughs> if um, if I see a video and like, I like to watch. I love to watch content that isn't football related because it allows me to look at the editing and the style a bit more. Because if I'm watching football, I'm just distracted by the football all the time. Mm. So I try and watch other other people and, and what they're doing with their angles, like especially when it comes to vlogging. Because at first I was not a natural. I'm still not a natural vlogger. But I try to show a little bit more of my day in the life because I, I do play indoor football now, which is a little bit different. So I'm trying to shed a bit of light on that because it is a little bit interesting. It's a little bit off the beaten trail kind of thing in terms of a pro-level sport because I didn't know about it before I came to the US, so I know millions of others don't. But now with social media, we can we can expose these things. But I wanted, I wanted to make it entertaining still. And so I looked at people like Casey Neistat, other vloggers and people in other industries. And then when... When I have collaborated with other brands, especially brands, that, that's really helpful because they're doing this professionally. I went out to Denmark. There's a channel called Unisport that basically review uh, boots, 
but they also do drills and things to market their product because they are an online store first. That's that's their business. And then they use their YouTube channel to market the products. And then through that, they started doing like tutorials and training sessions and things like that. So sometimes they would get me to come out to Denmark and film a little bit on their channel. So I'd be out there for like a week working with their camera crew, their audio crew. And I would learn so much in that on how to, on angles, uh, lenses, um, learning what I'm buying, like not just going, okay, this is a HD camera. It's going to be good. Like what, what is it capable of? And that's something I had to look into a little bit more because some cameras have really good picture, but they can't do like slow-mo. And so learning which cameras kind of have a more across the board um, capability. So I'm, I'm what I'm working with right now is a, a Canon 80D. And that's kind of like the YouTuber camera, I would call it, because it's it's so user-friendly. It's like the iPhone, you know what I mean? It's it's so easy to pick up. You play around with it for a little bit, but it, it does a really good job in most areas. But now, because I've dove into it a little bit more, I'm looking at more like what creates a more like cinematic effect. Because if I'm working on a certain project, like I'm, I'm trying to diversify my content a little bit of like the vlogging, I might not need a camera slow-mo because at the point filming myself talking slow-mo so my kind of has a better picture you know <laughs> just wouldn't make sense so um it's a learning curve but it's a lot of it once i look at something i'm, I'm straight on youtube because there's so many tech reviewers on youtube right. and literally you can like the microphone i'm using here I, I literally put like what's the best podcast mic and there's some guy like top five podcast mics 2020 so i'm like straight on it and know he's got a credible source because a lot of these uh, guys get sponsored by the big companies uh big like electric company so they're in the community i think and i think that's what's nice about youtube um you don't have to be an expert and sometimes sometimes you learn a lot more because it is more relatable like if i want maybe this isn't a great example because with medical stuff you probably should go to a doctor but let's say like i've got a little bit of injury and i'm, I'm not sure exactly what it is I, I try and type in the symptoms and there'll be some some player or some athlete or some physio on youtube that talks through and it's more relatable or like i was saying about changing um your car oil or a headlight or something like that i don't want to i don't want like some tr auto company on youtube i want to i want jack who's just changing out his light in his garden you know what i mean and like he's got tools that i've got at home i want i want to be able to relate to this person because sometimes when you're speaking to an expert it's intimidating and you don't absorb the information that well so, so if you're just talking to someone that you feel like it's just like you but um they experience something that you want to experience it's it's a lot easier to learn that way and i've learned so much about technology on youtube but if i was talking to a tech expert like if i went to a tech shop here i feel like I'd, i feel like an idiot because they'll be saying all this jargon that i don't know what they're on about and um i'll probably end up just buying it because i would panic and just buy something that i don't know what it is just to make myself not look stupid but you can sit down on YouTube, hear someone talk to you that feels almost like your mate, you know, because they're just like filming in their room and they're like, yeah, this is, this. they don't have an agenda with it uh, nine times out of ten unless they are being sponsored by it or something like that. If they're just doing an honest review, you care how they've used it and they're not trying to sell you on it. They're just giving their opinion, which I think is awesome about YouTube. Mm. Yeah, personally. Yeah, 100%. You know, there's there's so many things that you can pick up on YouTube and uh, people are, you know, foregoing entire courses and entire, you know, uh, um, education courses just so that they can learn it off YouTube because it's it's free. It's out there. It's accessible, you know. So yeah. for you, 
what what's in store for you down the road? Um, is YouTube first and foremost? Actually, before you answer that question, I'd like to know: Is YouTube your bread and butter now? Is that your is that your main source of income? I know you're playing professionally as well uh, with indoor soccer, but is is YouTube the primary source? So I I created a website not long ago, seven of us in training. So I wanted to make sure that YouTube wasn't my only thing, just because even though it's your own channel and everything, you never know what's going to happen like with, with YouTube. So I wanted to make sure I had my hub, which mm. is my 7 training.com and then have things around it. I'm certainly pouring into YouTube a lot right now because it is um, still a very hot place for people to go to get their information. So right now, yeah, I'm, I'm pouring into that a lot, but I also... I have like my own little footwork programs on my website. I have I have a mini podcast. I haven't really I've only just started this and just seen that, like where that goes with that. And then obviously my Instagram and just trying to have different avenues. And then through that, just kind of have an all encompassing brand, I suppose is is how I like to put it. But YouTube is definitely uh, what I pour into a lot. I feel like I know it the best. I know the platform in terms because I've just been on it so much and. The nice thing about YouTube, you do get a lot of support. Once you get to a certain milestone with subscribers, you have access to a lot of uh, support in the company, and they help you and give you tips and advice on how to prime your videos, I would say, and, um, which has been really helpful, you know, like learning at like upload times, um, thumbnail advice. And, and so I still feel like I've got a lot to learn on YouTube and a long way to go with that. But my, my ultimate goal is just to be like the one-stop, resource like for drills for people who train by themselves if they want any kind of drill they can just type it in and they're going to get something similar to what they're they're hoping for i suppose but i'm um, still trying to use other av avenues in it for other options i've i've been working closer with a few companies you know brands as well because they sometimes will reach out and uh, have projects for me that they think i'll be suited for so i'm starting to work a little bit close closer with brands and things like that so who knows what that could all lead into and um but yeah i do play indoor on the side and um i'm enjoying that it's a lot different but i still consider myself a player at the same time um youtube is my i, I don't like to call it my job because it doesn't feel like it but that is my that is my main source of income it, it supports me and my family it's it's what i do for a living for sure uh, i'm very lucky that to play in a, a pro indoor league but it's certainly not like taking care of everything i won't do forever it's not it's not a big enough league it's not going to provide that kind of um kind of salary or you know longevity so this is this is what i think about more long term is more my online presence whether that's an online trainer or and seeing what we can kind of evolve into so yeah i guess that's a long-winded uh, way to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's really interesting, Jing and Mike. Like, it's, it's it seems to me that a lot of this is sort of spawned organically. It, it doesn't seem contrived. It doesn't seem like you ever set out to do any of these things. So I think that's that's probably part of your appeal as well, Michael. Like, it's probably what what enables you to be quite. I mean, you use the term relatable. You know, I think that that is probably why people will relate to um, you in terms of your personality, but also the content that you're providing. Because exactly as you said, if it's if Wayne Rooney's going to come on and do his his tutorials, I can't envisage them being particularly inspiring. <laughs> but but but, uh, 
but also, yeah, of course, Wayne Rooney can can get the ball out of his feet and you know hit the crossbar from from halfway line. But not everyone can do that. But you know, like you said, if if people can see you going through the activities, going through the exercises, I've seen a lot of your work, and it's really good stuff. And I think, Thank yeah, the, the average the average kid on the street can can see it, can relate to it, can go out there and do it by themselves, and then go on and and, and master that, which I think is which I think is critical. And I think that, that for me is one of the reasons why I've, I've come across it so much in, in, in recent times is because of that sort of relatability factor, which I think is, is, is massive with your appeal. Um, but what I would like to know is, mm. is it must spawn a lot of opportunities outside of your normal realm as, as, a, as, a, as a footballer. I mean, you've alluded to a little bit of it, like going off to, to Scandinavia to do, um, to do you know, uh, shoots or... Um, yeah, yeah, things like things like that. What 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 are the, some of the cooler aspects to 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 being this this YouTube star, quote unquote star? You know, what 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 other what other opportunities and, and benefits have you gained from from gaining this notoriety? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I definitely get a lot of a lot of, of offers for. I think that the easiest one, which most YouTubers, you get so many sponsorship offers. You know, like everybody wants you. To, because basically you're a walking billboard at the same time yeah. when you've got an audience. And of course, so you every probably while we've been sitting here, I've probably got three new ones in my inbox. And I'm very grateful that I do have a, a wife that has a wise head because if it was me, I'd be taking every single one, you know what I mean? Because it's like money, money. Like, of course I'm going to take this, but I think that's been the biggest challenge for me is saying no. And, but I've said, I would say I've, I've said yes to maybe, three percent of what has reached out really give us, because of... give us an example of some of the stuff you get because i'm sure the kids want to know because they they want the free boots right okay. the kids want, kids want the free yeah. boots kids yeah you know what 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 sort of stuff i got a good one for you so yeah. probably two months ago i had i can't remember i don't mind name and shaming them i just can't remember the name of them but it was basically boxer shorts that are supposed to um deflect um signals from your phone and it's going to battle because uh, apparently uh, phone signals can cause impotence and sperm yeah, damage. Right back, so one, they yeah. wanted me. They wanted me to make a full minute video of doing tricks in my boxer shorts, um, alluding <laughs> alluding to the fact that these shorts are going to save your testicles. And but and they offer a, a nice sum of money with that. And it, I mean, I was obviously like, that was an easy no, but like, and then, but there's a few that you can, like, send them my, you can send them my way if you want, Mike, I'll, I'll, I'll happily, <laughs> I'll happily parade in my box of shorts for the right amount of money. <laughs> really? That's, that's, it. that's yeah. amazing. That's incredible. That's yeah. Well, it, it just, it, it boggles me how people, th I mean, they get it. They, they think they're going to throw money. At you. You're just going to say yes. But yeah, from my, from my angle, I'm just thinking, wouldn't you want to put it somewhere where it makes sense? Because, like, surely if you look at my stuff, you're probably going to think there might be some older players, but there's going to be an, a majority of probably teenage players right. around there. Um, so I had a – it's funny. Yeah, I get I get a lot of whip. I mean, I've had some, um, like, shaving companies and things like that where they're, like – where they, they really stretch it and say, like, maybe it could be a part of your, like, day in the life and, like, you could show – but they want you to do like a five minute shaving tutorial or something like that. And I'm no, just like, okay. It just, it just don't make sense. You know, like I can't, I can't do this, but I'm, I'm not trying to think of anything uh, as bonkers as the 
as the boxer shorts. But that's a brilliant one. I'm, I'm a massive, massive fan of that story. I think we should go with that. There's definitely a, there's definitely a headline there, Jing, somewhere. You know, about saving. I didn't think we'd be talking about people's testicles on this podcast, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming that must be quite hard because, like, I'm, I'm gauging, I'm gauging like your. As, as a kid, like obviously you aspire to be like a professional footballer, like most people growing up in the UK. And you do, you, you see these players and, and like you said, they, they become this brand themselves. So the idea that someone would hold you in such high esteem that they would be like, like I want you to endorse this product, that must be quite fl- uh, flatter, flattering. And I imagine it must be quite hard to turn those types of things down, irrespective of the product, because it, it is quite a nice feeling to be deemed of a certain calibre you know, a certain level of prestige that someone wants me to endorse their product because they think I bring value to, to that. I'd imagine that must be quite hard for, for, for someone in your, in your situation to turn that down. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think because growing up, you you see all these footballers, they endorse everything and you're just and you just know, OK, they're getting good money for it. And you kind of don't like you, you don't blame them for it, really. Like Unless they do something ridiculous, you're just like, ah, fair yeah. enough. They're probably getting a nice, nice slice. But uh, yeah, it's just. I just can't do it because I know I'm not big time. I'm not. I've just got a YouTube channel and like there was no gatekeeper. It's not like I had to qualify to get this kind of audience. You know what I mean? It just it happened. A lot of luck and uh, I'm very grateful for it. So I don't want to take advantage of it. And I think that's the, I think that's how I would feel. I'd be taking advantage of my audience a bit, wasting their time just to, yeah. just to make a, a pretty penny. But yeah, it's, it's hard, mate, honestly. And there's there's a few that I've, I have not like crazy like that, but there's a few that have been off brand that I accepted, but later had to um, turn it, really? you know, like, like, and you know that, and they're not happy about it. Cause you, you just find kind of like an agreement. Um, they don't send over any money, obviously until you deliver, but yeah, it, it, going back on your word is, it's hard, but you got to make sure you're always doing the right thing because I, I feel like I'm in this for the long run. Like if I was going to do this just for the next year and set up shop after that, yeah, I'd take everything left, right and center, just try and put my little chestnuts away. But I, if I'm going to be in this for the long run, I've got to keep that credibility and know that I'm, I'm on it for, I'm on it. Not every video is going to be sponsored and I'm going to keep making videos, whether it does well or not. And um, whether there's a sponsor on the video or not. So I, I really make sure that when a sponsor comes along, I just asked myself the question, how does this relate in any way to me and my brand? Um, I've been doing one recently that might seem off brand, but um, it's a website building. So Squarespace, but that's where yeah. I built my own web. That's where I, I built okay. my website. So th- for yeah. me, that's an easy one because I know how life changing it's been for me to have a website with my own programs and products. And it's allowed me to create a business so I can easily endorse that and share my experience so if it's something that's off brand that's not football related i've got to make sure that it's something that i use in my daily life and don't need to sell because yeah you can tell straight away like i don't need to be sharing um my lord of the rings gaming apps or something like that where i'm right it just doesn't make sense you know i i I always and i'm grateful for becca my wife because there are there have been times i'm like yeah i'm gonna do it she's just like nah like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's no way like it just doesn't make sense in what world and I, I like really stretch i'm like yeah but we could you know i really do my best to try and make it relatable but it, it's just not and i know it is but um, <laughs> yeah it's hard we didn't get an yeah. opportunity to kind of speak about your time in the philippines uh we moved yeah. into the, the youtube realm but i just wanted to touch a little bit on that so you, you, you were yeah you were in australia did you 
Is that how you found your way to the Philippines from Australia? Yeah, so um, I'd emailed. Um, so when I was, there, I was there was a there was a guy on my team in in Australia who had played in Thailand. So I was really really appealed by just Asian culture in general, like everywhere. My my uncle married a Malaysian woman. Um, so when I was younger, I spent a lot of time in Penang. I spent some time in Singapore, and I loved loved it out there. I always thought one day I would love to be anywhere just because I just really the culture seemed a great way of life. I just loved it. So um, I started looking into it because I was I, I knew I was only going to be in Australia for one year, one one season because that's what my visa allowed. And I like to be able to stay longer. Like the club has to put up like it was something ridiculous, like a hundred grand to sponsor you to stay there or something like that. And I was like, well, there's just no way because they that's more like the entire player salary for the for the whole year. So I started just like looking into other options that would would make sense after my time in Australia. And I so I, I emailed Simon McMenemy and um, just inquired about Loyola. And um, he said the only window that I could possibly come into. He liked he basically he liked my playing style. And he said about leaving Taj Minikan. And he was like, "We're actually looking for we're looking for a, a winger to come in. I think Taj ends up staying anyway, but um, yeah, we're actually looking to get get a winger in, and uh, you could do well here. I've seen your seen your uh, footage, and it could work. I think you might like it as well because him and his wife were out there. He's like, "Yeah, I think you'll really like the lifestyle and everything." He's like, "Let's stay in touch." And um, then he emailed me back. He's like, "Yeah, the only window we have is in I think it was July." Um, that's the only window that we, we can get you in. We can't do it at the end of the year because that's too far off or whatever. Um, basically, it got to the point where I would have to leave Australia to go there. It wasn't like I'd be able to finish my, my season in Australia. So I was like, yeah, I want to do it. Um, there, was a mid, there was a midpoint in the season where I could leave anyway. So about three weeks before um, the window was opening in the Philippines, I left my team in Australia and uh, we came over to Manila and um, I was training with the team. Amazing, amazing experience. I loved part of it and not just the lifestyle, but there were some great players in that team. Like the young husband boys were in there at the time. Taj Minicom was in there at the time, like Kurt Dijon and um, who else? Jason, uh, Jason, um, uh, who else was in there? Yeah, loads of great players, and I was like, really "Dude, I'm glad you, I'm glad you didn't mention, I'm glad you didn't mention my brother." Simon. Good, carry on. Well, I was going to come to Simon because the first, <laughs> the first day of training, Simon came straight up to me. Like everyone else was kind of doing their thing, but he was just like straight in there. He's like, "Hi, mate, where you, like where you from?" And just like talking my ear off from the get go, kind of thing. He's like, "Yeah, hey, come, you're going to be in my rondo group. Like, get over it. Like, we're doing it." And he was loving it. Like, he was like sliding in the middle of everything. I was like, "Jesus!" It was like TGI Fridays tonight. We're going to go, yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, fair enough." I was like, "I haven't even had a training session yet," and he's invited me to TGI Fridays. So I was like, "Let's see how it goes." Um, but I loved it, and I just loved the the camaraderie of the players there. I thought it was a, a really cool culture. It seemed like. Everyone just genuinely got along. What really impressed me, actually, when we went to TGI Fridays, there was boys from Kaya came in, like, eight with us. Um, in my building where I was staying, uh, Orman, do you know Orman? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, I met him in the gym, and then every single morning we got together to train. I'm like, we could potentially be on opposing teams, but it was just, like, such a collaborative feel. And I think part of it, obviously, wanted the, the sport to grow in the Philippines. So I think everybody, everyone's competing on the pitch, 
But off the pitch, I feel like everybody was just kind of like good mates and like wanted the sport to do well, wanted each other to do well. And I, was, I just really loved that. And um, I thought it was really cool, like how most teams, everyone had like the same home field, you know, at the Rizal. I thought that was really cool. You'd, you'd pull up and it's just like, there's just something about it. I loved going to watch the games and I was really looking forward to it. And Simon like said midway through my month there because I booked a month in the in the room because you have like 28 days before you have to yeah. extend your visa or whatnot. And um, he'd already let me know like two weeks in. He's like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to take you. So you can start like making arrangements and things like that. So I was like, brilliant. Like, I'm so set for it. I'm like, this is brilliant. And made really good mates with all the boys on the team. And it was just really unfortunate. It was that um the window wasn't available or something something happened in the the league yeah and um... yeah something happened with that window it was um we had a couple of issues with some of our guys i think they ended up um basically there there was there wasn't a window to sign players in that window um because we had an issue with uh another he might have been in your building actually with adam reed because he came in with a with a philippine passport but he was he was registered by another club as English, and we had to negotiate a transfer for him when he was Filipino the whole time. But we couldn't register him as a as a Filipino player because there wasn't a window. I think the same happened with I think Jordan Minter didn't play that year. He was one of our other strikers. So I, I remember that period because you you and your wife and I know as your wife um obviously set set yourselves up to be here yeah. for, for a long on a long term basis, and then. It must have been quite demoralising when you realised that through no fault of your own and it's just circumstances from from the league dictated that you weren't able to actually formally sign for Morocco. Yeah, it, it was heartbreaking, honestly, because I remember because we only found out, like, I think it was three days before that 28 day because we started looking into visa. I'd already extended our, our little condo place. Thankfully, like, the people who owned that were, like, amazing with us and they were just like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it, like... We can cancel that, but it was just hard because then it was really short after this. It was like, all of a sudden I'm leaving. I had yeah. one more training session. Um, it was that week where like there was a massive, there was rain all week. So they got managed to get like one session after like a week. So it felt really quick. Like the buys were really quick and um, yeah, it was brutal, man. Cause I was re- just taken aback by the whole experience. Like I'd never been in a place where like the manager really says, more than uh, instructions to you. But like Simon would go out of his way, like took me and my wife out for dinner, like three or four yeah. times, like spent the whole day with him and his wife, like going around all the markets and uh, stuff like that. I'm like, like what place in the world are you, are you having this kind of like relationship with your teammates and, and your coaches? I was like, I absolutely, like I loved the little Venetian mall, like right next to all the building stuff, like with the gondolas and stuff. I was like, this is a, it's another world, but I loved it. Um, yeah, I was good. Uh, honestly, I was gutted. And, um i think what what made it worse for me is because the way me and simon left it he's like well there's going to be another one in december uh you can just come back i think it was december or maybe january but yeah. like you could you get we'll keep in touch you're going to come back and then he ended up going to uh Indonesia, i think um he he started coaching over there so i still like even today i still feel like there's like unfinished business in a way because i i'd even after that time i was still training I went back to England and I was just like playing league there, like training, thinking that I was coming back to the Philippines. So really, I okay. felt like I felt like I spent six months of my life, not maybe only a month of it in the Philippines, but six months like thinking about the Philippines, preparing for the Philippines, <laughs> um, and everything. And then it, it never amounted. So I, I'd, it was such a weird time. 
and then that's when we ended up coming back to the US but like for six months I was like I thought it was going to be my life for a little bit you know and um looking forward to it a lot so yeah it was it, that was that was probably my my toughest toughest experience and then just feeling like because when you come back to the US even though I got into a, a pro indoor team here and things went well you you do feel like just it's a bit of a step back I've always been a person that loves to explore new cultures and is really appealed by the experience as a whole not just just the playing you know so I, I, I was I was really looking forward to that and I think it it was for the next year on out because um what ended up happening i went back into training with the the rhinos and then they ended up folding so we moved back to rochester and the only level that was available for me here was the mpsl and it's still a great level but i felt like i'd been there you know i'd already played in the pdl and stuff like that so it felt like i'd taken a few steps like gone out to australia was earning a full-time income went to the philippines was this close to it and then it, it kind of felt a little bit back back to square one for me so i think it was it was yeah a little bit of a bit of pill to uh, to swallow there, but I mean I look that month I I will, it's funny actually you should say that because we drove to my wife's parents today and there's three songs that remind me of the Philippines. It's um there's like a, a Sia song. It's uh, I'm not going to sing for you, but and there's a Drake song. Um, <laughs> uh, what's the I don't know the names of the song, but we listened to all three in a row because I was like I was looking forward to this chat tonight. I was like I'm going to start <laughs> thinking about the Philippines like, these three songs, and I was like me and old man listen to them every workout every morning. I was just like. It felt like I was there, you know, like just listening to these songs. I could just see everything, like the walk to the um, Emperor Stadium to train. And I loved how like one team would be training and then the other team's like waiting to come on. I'm like, you're just saying like hi to all the other teammates of other teams and stuff like that. I'm like, you don't get that anywhere else, man. That was such a unique time, but very cool. I loved it. Every part of it. Yeah. It's quite interesting, you know, obviously the disappointment, not that uh, all of that not working out, but, you know, it, it led you down this road. And uh, <laughs> and now we're getting yeah. an opportunity to speak with you uh, because I of uh, the magnificent uh, videos, you know. it's It truly is uh, quality stuff that you're able to produce. And uh, it's a huge service to everybody that is, as you say, uh, looking for ways to improve their game if they're not getting the, the coaching that is necessary. I know personally if this stuff was around, I would have – eating all of this up you know what i mean I, i'm i'm 32 now and my game uh, my playing days are well ahead, uh, well past me <laughs> but when i was younger nah. man mm -hmm. when i was in high school and on the varsity team my coach sometimes didn't even show up you know what i mean we, we he'd come in and the drills were always the same or he wouldn't show up and we'd just end up scrimmaging most of the time you know what i mean so there was not really an opportunity to uh, to up your technique and uh, i would go out and shoot or pass to pass to the wall or shoot um, shots myself, but you know it would have been nice to 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 have something that could guide me along the way. And this is something that would be huge for me, you know, if if if, if it was around. So I'm sure kids right now are, are picking up their iPads, as you say, uh, all over in provinces and in places that are far flung, and and and, and watching seven MLC. You know, I'm sure it'll be it's it's yeah. magnificent for them. It's it's crazy, yeah. And, uh, you know, with traveling, I, I do have the opportunity to sometimes bump into people, you know, watch the videos. And it, it's so, it catches me off guard every single time because I'm just, I, I'm not changed at all. Nothing else has changed. Just like, there's just like this this number. And people, I think people think that, um, I hope I don't disappoint people when I meet them, really, because I think they do expect, like, them meeting so well, I can't, I can't relate in that aspect because YouTube for me growing up was just normal people. I know YouTubers now, they're like, there's some celebrities out there. You know, when you look at like 
Logan Paul and like these guys who are having like boxing matches earning mid like yeah. and it's crazy <laughs> to think about things like that. But it's funny you mentioned about the videos though, because I always say like I my one regret with video I wish I started earlier like i would have loved to have documented that the philippine experience because mm-hmm. uh i think that would have been so cool and uh that it was shortly after that i was like oh i i, I should have done it a bit a little bit sooner like had uh, a bit more like traveling a bit more like showing other styles and cultures of football around the world that would have, but you know it's never too late to um to look into that like exploring the world in terms of just trying to like document football cultures elsewhere. I think that's something I would kind of like to do someday is just to, to shed a light on, um, um, yeah, a bit more like what isn't available easily for, for players around the world. Cause I would, just like you were saying, I would have loved to have had, I hope I don't sound arrogant saying this, but my channel, I would have loved to have had that growing up just like a, a weekly, putting weekly training ideas on, on, mm-hmm a platform where I can just use that. So that that's that's always in the back of my mind when I, I keep doing that. Like I, I know I would have loved this growing up. So there will be younger players that just, are, you know, this might be the only coaching they have every week. They might not even play for a team. So that's that's what keeps me going with it for, for sure. I think yeah. one of the really interesting things about you, Mike, is uh, was Louis Clark there when you still here when you, uh, when you were? Yeah, yeah, he was on uh, Kaya, yep. So, so one thing that really interested me about um, your story is um, Louis was obviously here. Now Louis runs his own. Um, uh, he basically videos non-league football games yeah, uh, on, yeah. on, a, on a really broad scale. So he's done a really good job of that. Funny enough, is he he went to school at Syracuse, which is in in upstate New York, mm-hmm. also. And uh, one of his teammates gave him the program um, to uh, basically cut and edit games and the software. Sorry. And, and now he does that. But one of the things he says, he, he said to me this about a year ago, which I think is really, really interesting. He said, Chris, he said, I'll go and video games um, where the team is like a full of YouTube stars and they'll have, they'll have teams that play in the Sunday league and they'll go and play at like a non-league ground, but they'll get four or 5,000 at the game and people will converge on these things. And they're, they're not even playing in a particularly high level, but, the, the fans have an affinity to these people and they'll go and watch these games and they're getting more fans than, you know, League One or League Two teams. Yeah. And what he was saying to me was, he said, uh, he, he's, he's of, the believer that, of the belief that things are going to start to move towards that. And I think actually post this coronavirus, you're going to see a lot of this happening, is people are going to shy away and move away from necessarily consuming football from a, from a perspective of we want to try to watch football at the highest level, i.e. we want to go and watch the Premier League, I think you're, what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of people absorb football in a completely different way. Um, and it might be from a perspective of we want to get training information from some of from YouTube. It might be we want to go and watch our YouTube stars playing a game against other YouTube stars or against regular people. And we want to go and pay to go and watch that content, uh, that, that match, rather than going and watching a League One or League Two or a championship game. And it, it's, it's such an interesting and dynamic space. And we really don't know what, what we're getting into here. And I think we're just scratching the surface. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a space that is going to change dramatically and is going to evolve a lot, especially post, post-COVID-19. I don't know if you've given that much thought, but um, yeah. I, I, I'm anticipating there's going to be a real shift in how people consume football. And I think you're going to be one of the beneficiaries 
of, of being right at the forefront of that. I don't know what your take is on that or if you think that's something you've given much thought to. Yeah, I I, I, I definitely agree with you. I think... Sorry, before, sorry so one, one thing... Yeah, you, no, mentioned Logan, you mentioned Logan Paul, which is the, the, the exact example because... Um, the boxing promoter, Eddie Hearn said, you know, I, 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 he's worked in the industry for 20, 30 years. And he, you know, it took him ages to get to the point where he was putting on a show where millions of people would pay to subscribe. Logan Paul and KSI get on a fight. You know, no backing, no promoter, no nothing. Blows all kinds of pay-per-view records. Neither of them are bo- boxers. Neither That's of them are it. professional athletes. This is the way it's going, Mike. This, the, I, I, I'm a firm believer of that. This is the way that, that, that football is going to go soon as well. It's interesting you say that because I, I, I had a long conversation with one of my mates about this because they were saying, like, it is, it, on the one hand, it's brilliant. But on the other hand, you, know, you can look at it both ways because just like the boxing match, there's, there's lads that dedicate years to training, fighting, and they might play... Uh, fight in front of 12 people at their village hall you know what i mean slaving every day and same with football like a lot of these youtube teams i've seen them playing at like anfield you know and they're playing against like the anfield staff or something like that not like proper players but just getting those experiences and like i don't know if you saw they had this thing called the wembley cup in england but they basically got youtube teams to have a tournament at wembley and i want to say it might have been forty thousand people there yeah watching these lads and and you should see these lads like some of them are hacks but they'll toe poke one in from six yards at Wembley and they're sprinting to the quarterfinals, sliding on their knees it's like it's like every boy's dream because in that moment there they are Alan Shearer scoring you know against Argentina or something because the, the atmosphere is the same it but they haven't put any work some of these lads haven't even played Sunday league you know what I mean and, and they're getting this so I love it, and I, it's amazing, and it fascinates me. But at the same time, it's just like I want to be playing at Wembley. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? A little bit jealous, uh, and do they deserve it? But I don't know if does do they have to. Uh, I'm always back and forth on that. But I think mm. you're right. I think there'll be um, people wanting a lot more entertainment from from their own homes because I think they'll want to have things in. Because I think we're all shocked. Um, this experience. And I think this is why a lot of people have come over to my channel all of a sudden, because suddenly they're not prepared and they're like, what do I do? How do I train? What do I, so it's great that um, um, my channel's thriving and everything from that. But I think people will look to set up a little bit more for something like this in the future on a bigger scale. So there might be, I think in football, I think they will have a, um, a new kind of protocol when any, anything like this happens and i think that will happen in youtube as well to keep people entertained and keep uh keep people not having to completely stop what they're doing i suppose so i think there's going to be a more demand for a lot more online uh influencer sports i guess and um yeah it's it's just interesting and we'll see yeah we'll see where that goes i don't yeah i don't know what to expect i have no clue so yeah that's a good point I could spend a night thinking about that and it's just, it's just hard to believe some of the things that these guys have, the opportunities, you're just like, you wouldn't believe them. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't believe them if, if you didn't know YouTube and stuff existed and they told you they got these opportunities, you'd be like, there's no way, but it's 2020, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, Mike, we, we want to be really respectful of your time. You, you, you've, you've given us so much there. Um, 
it's getting late for you in in uh, in New York. So um, you know, I, I'm sure your wife's probably you know waiting <laughs> for you and thinking well, what the heck's going on. But no, I mean yeah. you've got a lot of stuff going on. So um, you know, where, where can where can people find your stuff? I know you mentioned that you got your podcast up and running. So if, yeah, if you want to. Yeah, expand on some yeah. of the things that you're doing at the moment where people can find you, essentially, that would be that would be great. Sure. Well, obviously, 7MLC, so 7M. Uh, MLC is Michael Lewis Cunningham. That's just my initials. That's my YouTube handle. So you just type in 7MLC and you'll, you'll find my channel. A few hundred videos on there so far. So hopefully you'll find something uh, to help you if you're talking about there. But I That's where you can kind of access everything if you want to. So I've got you can get to my YouTube from there. My Instagram pages, I've got both a personal page, a, a bus, business page, I call it, where I put my drills and things like that. My podcast is still early days. I might only be 10 episodes in and they're all short right now because I'm still getting used to that. It's a whole different world for me. Uh, not on your level yet, Chris, but uh, maybe we'll collab on mine uh, <laughs> next time. So that'd be cool. And uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I think I think that's all I've got going right now. But Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys having me. I've I've enjoyed reminiscing on uh, some cool experiences and being a part of your podcast. It's been a pleasure, Michael, getting you on the yeah, show, and uh, maybe like uh, we'll get you back in a few months, in a year, when you've got a million subscribers on Seven uh, MLC. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. been cool, kind of uh, getting your 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 journey and uh, your connection. Uh, to the Philippines. Actually, that was something that was new to me, something that I just uh, found out oh, cool. today uh, or, yeah. or last night. So, yeah, we wish you the best of luck and we Thank are you. looking forward to a, a lot more of your content on YouTube. Thank you. Uh, find him, 7MLC. If you guys enjoyed this show and uh, this conversation with Michael, please do subscribe to the Across the Line podcast uh, on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram as well. That's it for this football Friday and we hope to catch you on the next one.